Africa, home to the most unique people in the world. A place that connects us through our customs, traditions, and even belief itself. Join Mukundi Mudao in Tribal Pursuit, a series that ventures deep into Africa to discover the beautiful people that identify as Jewish. Join the conversation every Wednesday at 10 a.m. right here on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, Tribal Pursuit is the name of the show and I am your dear friend Mukundi Mudao, top of the morning. I hope you're enjoying your beautiful Wednesday. The time is 5 minutes past 10 and it is cloudy in Johannesburg. Well, at least last time I checked, that was about 5 minutes ago. I walked in studio at 6 a.m. It was very dark. Walked out, it was very cloudy. So, I don't know what the weather is doing today, but... I'll make it work. I'll make it work. It is Wednesday and we are going to have fun today. I hope you're going to be with me for the ride. I'm going to have a recap of everything that we've been doing for about a month now. And to help me do that, I brought Mr. John David, and he's going to talk to us about his experience in Africa because I've only been able to talk to these people. He's actually been able to go and interact with all these communities that i've been talking about so stay tuned for that that's gonna be fun i'm gonna tell you what's happening in, what's happening in africa i got some beautiful music for you i woke up in love today just so you know just so you know i woke up in love today there's a lot of love songs at least the first two loves the first two songs are love songs i hope you don't mind but i think you're gonna enjoy it so we'll make it work <laughs> i'm gonna tell you what's happening in africa i'm gonna talk to john or david later i got an african proverb for you which is about wisdom because, you know, I love bestowing some wisdom upon you. I'm your dear friend, Mukundi Mudao. If you want to get in touch with me and say hi, feel free to do so. 34519 is how you SMS me. 0618951019 is how you t- get in touch with me on Telegram. If you want to email me, you can do so on air at highfm.com. And if you want to tweet me, feel free to do so. Nobody will stop you at highfm. This is Tribal Pursuit with Mukundi Mudao, venturing deep into Africa to discover the who, how, and why of the beautiful people that identify as Jewish. 101.9 High FM, this is Tribal Pursuit, and I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudao, and I hope you're having a good time. I'm here to bring you the good vibes, and we're going to make it work, and we're going to have fun. So, what am I talking about today, or rather, who am I talking to? Well, I just said I'm talk I'm, I just say we're going to have a recap of what's been happening the past few weeks or rather the past month. And who am I talking to? Jano David. He is a photographer and he will be telling me about his experience with some of the communities that we've been talking about because he decided, I don't know why, but this man decided to just travel Africa and take a picture of Jewish people across the continent, you know. Some of them I've talked to already, some of them I'm yet to talk to, and I just wanted to get his perspective on things and just see how he feels and if there's somebody outside the community, well, outside that community, you know, that actually found them as interesting as I did, and I hope you find them interesting too. If you do, let me know. 34519 is my SMS line, 0618951019 is my Telegram line. If you want to e- email me, you can do so on air at highfm.com, and if you want to tweet me, you can do so at highfm. So my conversation with Jarno will be a bit later, so stay tuned for that. I'm going to give you some great music. I'm going to give you some great music. I'm going to have a lot to talk about. And I'm going to tell you about animals again. I don't know if you know this, but I'm kind of an animal person. And I've been talking about animals for a while. You know, I talked about rhinos. I talked about elephants. I talked about donkeys. And today, I'm going to give you something cool as well. But first, let's find out what's happening in Africa. Once again, 
Just forget your Jewish for a minute. And let's see what's happening, starting with Nairobi and Burundi. So what's happening? Burundi vows to eradicate begging as police sweep streets. Eradicate begging? Okay. Nairobi. In Nairobi, authorities in Burundi on Thursday set a police operation rounding up beggars in the main city of Buju. <sighs> okay. You got this. Bujumbura. <laughs> B-U-J-U-M-B-U-R-A. Pronounce it how you will. Bujumbura would not stop until they had seen totally eradicated. So they say that they want to eradicate begging. Nearly 300 beggars and street children were arrested between Wednesday and Thursday, according to the National Federation of Association for Children in Burundi, otherwise known as fin finadeb <laughs> i love acronyms an umbrella group representing 70 social society organizations um felix Nga i swear these words are fighting with me today it's making me look like i can't read and i swear i can read it's just difficult difficult and i know as a vendor person i'm supposed to be that guy that knows how to pr pronounce difficult words like my siandreitra but this is this is a whole new sport hey felix ngendabanyikwa I am so sorry, Felix, if I said your name wrong, but Felix Ngendambanyikwa said, we will, stop our we will not stop our operation until begging and the phenomenon of street children is eradicated in Burundi. I kind of get what he means, but at the same time, there's people that beg every day. Are you going to stop them every day? We've seen it. We've seen them try here in South Africa. They'll round up all the homeless children and all the homeless people and they'll put them in shelters and places of safety. But because most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, the conditions in these places are no better than the streets. And if I'm going to be on the street and I'm begging and I'm making 200 rand a day and you're giving me a slice of bread a day, then obviously I'm better off in the streets. You know, I'll take the cold, I'll take the cold, hard pavement over a warm mattress at least the cold hard pavement i'll be fed and i'll have a good life relatively speaking you know so i don't agree with this i agree with eradicating poverty and begging and everything but i don't think this is the right way to do it because why are you arresting people you know i don't think you're supposed to arrest them you're supposed to help them you're supposed to help these people out of a situation because it is a it is a pretty bad situation anyway Vagrancy carries a two-month prison term in Burundi while coercing minors into begging can carry a 15-year sentence. That one I agree with. I agree with. I believe if you are begging, don't bring your children into it. Let the children go to school. I'm always saying this, and I know it sounds like somebody speaking from a position of privilege, but it really isn't. It's me just looking at the fact that this child is in the street, hot or cold, burning, hungry, going up and down, and more often than not, I've seen it in johannesburg as well the people just sit and let the children do the begging which is why i'm fighting for which is why i'm fighting against it not fighting <laughs> not fighting i'm not aggressive but yeah anyway let's stop the bad news and let's move on to my favorite people the animals my favorite living beings rather before people say animals are not people so i figured i'd tell you something very cool today different dangerous animals the most dangerous animals in Africa today. And I want you to tell me, actually, you're not going to tell me, I'm going to tell you right now, but off the top of your head, which animal do you think is the deadliest in Africa? The lion? The cheetah? The buffalo? The white, the great white shark? No. 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 You're wrong. What did you think? No. You're wrong too. Mosquitoes. Mm. Mosquitoes causes diseases including malaria, yellow fever, Zika virus, West Nile virus, I don't even know what that is, and dengue fever, I swear these words today, D-E-N-G-U-E, deng, deng, dengue, dengue, fever, 
and a million deaths. So mosquitoes are responsible for a million deaths in Africa. Crazy, isn't it? Next on the list is the hippopotamus. Now there's a word I know how to pronounce. <laughs> Territorial and weighs up to 1,500 kilograms. That's a lot. It's a lot of mukundis. Making it the third largest animal after the elephant and rhino, and they are responsible for 3,000 deaths. How? Why are you bothering the, the hippo? The hippo's probably just chilling in the water, and you went into its territory. They are territorial. Why would you do that? Anyway, third on the list is the African elephant, the largest land animal, weighs up to 7,000 kilograms. Now, that's a lot of hippos. And it is unpredictable. Tramples victims, 500 deaths. Well, there's a lady... <laughs> There's a lady in India that'll tell you something about elephants, but I'm not gonna get into that. The Nile crocodile is the fourth on the list, and it's just, they say, aggressive field attacks. 300 deaths. Those are your top four. Let's just make it five. Let me, let me be fair, make it five. The lion is the fifth on the list, apex predator, but it's boring. Everybody knows that lions are dangerous. I, I really thought the mosquito, the hippo, the, ele the elephant, the crocodile... Yeah, those are the cool ones. The lion, everybody knows the lion is dangerous. You should not approach it no matter what. This is Tribal Pursuit with Mukundi Mudao. Venturing deep into Africa to discover the who, how and why of the beautiful people that identify as Jewish. 27 past 10? Such an awkward time. Such an awkward time, but it is that time to bestow some wisdom upon you. So do gather around, do gather around. Let me tell you my African proverb of the day. It is, the wise man never takes a step too long for his leg. Oh, man. Smart. Beautiful. A wise man never takes a step too long for his leg. Now, this obviously means you got to be well prepared for anything, right? Imagine taking a physical step too long for your leg. One thing is certain, and that is you will fall. This is, I'm reading this, by the way. I'm not this cool. I'm not this smart. Motivational speakers tell us that there is nothing we cannot do if we put our mind to it. Or as they like to put it, if you can conceive it in your mind and believe it in your heart, you can achieve it in your life. But that is an exaggeration of truth. You and I know that whereas the mind is limitless in what it can conceive, our human ability is limited in what it can achieve. Truth be told, we do many things that we cannot do Wait, what? We do many things, but we cannot do everything. And wisdom is knowing the difference between what is feasible for us to do and what is foolish for us to do. And it all comes down to knowing yourself. This is not in any way to discourage you. On the contrary, it's to say that if a gap is too wide for you to step over, you should leap over it. And if you can't leap over, you should put a plank or build a bridge over it. And if that also proves impossible or unhelpful, you should develop a machine, like an aircraft to get across it. Be energized. Okay, so that totally went left. I went right and that went left. That is definitely not how I envisioned what that meant. But either way, you gotta you gotta hear it and take it how you perceive it, right? If it works for you, it does not work for me. But that is our African proverb of the day. A wise man never takes a step too long for his leg. And remember how last week I said I always forget to tell you to listen to the podcast? By the way, listen to the podcast. I've been meaning to do this since my first show. I did it my first show and I haven't done it ever since and I feel so bad. I'm not alone in studio. I have Craig the man. Craig, you good? Not a man of many words. Gave me a thumbs up all the time. That is pretty cool. The time is 29 minutes past 10 and I hope you're having a good time. 101.9 High FM, Travel Pursuit is the name of the show and I am your dear friend Mukundi Mudao. You want to get in touch with me, you can freely do so. 34519 is our SMS line. 0618951019 is our Telegram line. You can also email me on air at highfm.com and you can just tweet me as well 
at HiFM. I'll get to your message. I'll say hi and I might even wave. The time is 10.30 and we're going to take a quick break, listen to some stuff, stretch our legs. And right after that, I will be talking to Mr. Jono David and it'll be a good time. By the way, you know how everybody else I've been talking to is in, is in Africa? Guess what Jono is? You're wrong. Once again, he's in Japan. <laughs> I just find that really cool. But anyway, 10.30, we'll be back straight after this. This is Tribal Pursuit with Mukundi Mudao, venturing deep into Africa to discover the who, how, and why of the beautiful people that identify as Jewish. 101.9 High FM, this is Tribal Pursuit, and I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudao, top of the morning. If you've just joined me and you'd like to say hi, please feel free to do so. 34519 is my SMS line, 0618951019 is a telegram line. You can email me on air at highfm.com. And if you feel like tweeting me, just open Twitter and at highfm. Don't be shy. Go ahead and do it. <laughs> Classes in session. So for about a month now, we've been talking and interacting with different Jewish communities around Africa. And we've talked to members and community leaders. It's been fun. However, due to geography and everybody being so busy, we actually haven't managed to interact with these people physically. But because like a good friend, Mukundi's got you, I managed to track down somebody who has. Yes, yes, he has been to all these countries that I've talked about. Crazy, right? He is in Japan. That's Mr. Jano David. Mr. David, konnichiwa. <laughs> konnichiwa. <laughs> well, please call me Jano. And uh, some of your listeners out there might know me. And I'm sure everybody knows me better as Jano. So thank you for having me for this great opportunity to speak to you and to your audience. Not a problem. Not a problem. Thank you for making the time. So I'm just going to go straight into it. You and I had more or less the same idea. How do Jewish people in other African countries live? Difference between your show about it and you wrote a book on it. But with me, it was curiosity and just wanting to find out more. Could you please tell me what made you write your book and gave you the idea to interact with other African Jewish communities? Well, so the story goes back about a decade, actually, when I initially had the seed in my mind to do a, a Jewish Africa photo project. And that came on the heels of doing many years before that, doing other Jewish uh, photo projects uh, during my travels here and there around the world wherever I happened to be, but I wanted, I was looking for something more focused and to a certain degree with sort of the quote unquote established historical Jewish communities in Southern Africa, uh, particularly South Africa, of course, and then other regional countries, uh, you know, Zimbabwe and, and Namibia and, and Zambia, for example. Uh, and then of course, across the Northern stretches, the Maghreb. Now, of course, these are the, in the Southern region, of course, these are the communities that were historically founded through uh, white Jewish uh, European uh, immigration. And of course, the Jewish communities in the Arab world, which date back, you know, several thousand years. So as I was leading up to my project and I was researching, I hit upon these uh, black Jewish communities. Now, uh, I think the most established and well-known of those is the Abayudaya community in Uganda. And, uh, but I, 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 one of the catalysts that really <laughs> helped focus my project was a, a particular book I read by a woman named Edith Bruder, The Black Jews of Africa. 
And in that book, I discovered all these uh, black Jewish communities in places like Nigeria uh, and uh, Cameroon and um, connections in Rwanda and and where else? I, it's just funny. I, for some reason, I'm just drawing a blank. But I, I came across these Jewish communities. So I started to get really fascinated, intrigued by that. And uh, it just seemed like a natural thing for me to follow up on. So my itinerary rapidly expanded from uh, the southern and northern stretches of, of Africa to pretty much across the length and breadth of the, of the continent. Hmm. And was this a project just to take pictures and bring attention to these people? Or did you want to get their story as well and find out more about them? Well, a little bit of both. I think probably certainly more an emphasis on the former, because as a photographer, that's certainly my personal endgame. I'm not a researcher. I'm not a historian. Mm. I'm not an authority on these uh, communities. But the people who contributed, there were a dozen people who contributed essays to my Jewish Africa book. And uh, they're the ones who really know the rich uh, tapestry that these communities have thread together. So, of course, when I visited these communities, I needed to have a certain understanding of why they are uh, emerging, uh, what their motivations are. And also, of course, just the uh, the personal count encounters and the rock star welcomes that I would receive in these communities was just a memories that uh, memories and experiences that I'll just cherish for the rest of my life. Because, you know, aside from the fact that I was doing this particular Jewish Africa project and uh, learning about them uh, in that fold, you know, just aside from that, they were just, everybody I met was just so amazing. And uh, so it was just uh, extraordinary in, in every way. But yes, certainly to your question, there was, uh, from my point of view, absolutely a focus on the photography. And I, I, I archived roughly 60, 65,000 photographs. So yeah, but you know, you have to bear in mind, I took this project over four years of traveling back and forth from my base here in Japan uh, during my uh, university, where I teach at university. So during my long recesses, uh, I would uh, pack my bag, get on the plane and, um, you know, go to different regions of the continent. And it took over four years for me to do that. So, so on the, on the face of it, you know, that sounds like a lot of photos, but it's, it's really not that, that much considering I also went to 30 countries and territories. So yeah. Not too shabby, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it's not a bad archive to have. 65,000. Wow. So how was it getting there? I'm pretty sure there was a bit of a cultural shock as well, seeing all these black people that practice Judaism. And some of them that practice Judaism, but in a not in your more orthodox way, but very different. How, how was that for you? Well, you know, people are people. And... Prior to my travels in the Jewish Africa Project, I, I, you know, I'm a pretty experienced traveler, so I'm pretty familiar with the certain expectations of cultural differences. I sort of more am likely to get a reverse culture shock when I go back home mm. uh, and finding, uh, you know, the, the things about my own culture that that shock me, not so much about where I go. So in that sense. I felt like I could slip right into these communities, meaning that I felt like I was not an outsider. I felt they made me feel welcome just as a person, 
but also in terms of you know their their Jewish rituals, uh, their daily prayers, their synagogues, their uh, you know the accoutrements that go along with practicing their daily services, for example, or some of the holiday holidays that I was able to celebrate with them. You know they all felt very familiar, so I didn't see them as you know anything different than I was familiar with in any community. Uh, anywhere. Of course, there's language differences, there's, uh, you know, other customs differences, there's, um, you know, you name it. Um, there's uh, just, you know, fashion differences, there's culinary differences. So these, these are the things that made it different. But actually, with their uh, interest in Judaism and their, their desire to be more learned uh, so they can be more widely accepted in the Jewish community at large and their commitment to being Jewish and going through the, the stages of learning and um, in some communities conversion. Uh, they know it's a long process, but I found that all very inspiring and uh, it made me feel very connected to them in that sense. So it wasn't as strange or awkward or you know, uh, as it might, might seem. Mm. Yeah. So that, that in itself, that in a sense was surprising, but, uh, but like I said, at the end of the day, you know, people are people and, um, they want to belong to a community like, like most people, whether it's a community of religion or it's a community, whether it's what if, you know, whatever your hobby might be or your community of friends, however one defines their community. Uh, in this case, we're talking about the Jewish community. So, mm. And was there ever a time, I hear you saying that they welcomed you with open arms and everything, but was there ever a time when do you ever go anywhere where people felt a bit more boxed in and reluctant to let you in? Especially since you're coming in with cameras and everything. That's kind of hard for some people to grasp and be comfortable with. No, not in the, not when we're talking about these black communities that are in places like, uh, you know, Cameroon, Ghana, and Gabon, and uh, uh, Uganda. No, because they are looking for connections and they're welcoming because they want, they want some attention to be recognized. And I think that they, you know, it's an opportunity for them to have their story told, have their story shared. And so, you know, if somebody like me who's doing documentation considers them uh, as part of that Jewish fold, then uh, I think they were happy to have me. Ironically, it was far more in certain circumstances, by far, by, by, no, me by no means all, but in certain circumstances, it was far harder for me to get uh, a welcome or even permission to photograph in certain uh, communities in South Africa or in uh, certain areas in, um, you know, the in the Maghreb, for example, in uh, Cairo, Egypt, because, um, you know, there's political issues there. And um, it was uh, it, it was impossible for me to actually to get official permission to photograph in the what, the remnants of you know, there's like fewer than a dozen Jews there. So uh, they're very concerned for their safety. And as an independent photographer, and meaning that not an established accredited uh, photographer or news person, they're less likely to give grant me that sort of permission and access. I did get some Jewish photos for my 
project uh, in Egypt, but that's another story. So no, I think the the communities that uh, that we're really focusing on in this conversation uh, are the ones that were very welcoming the most. Not that <laughs> nobody was not welcoming, just that it was some there were some other places that had more hurdles. I think it also goes down to their culture as well. Uh, you know, there are cultural differences, and uh, I think uh, the, these communities that I visited and in, in, uh, the places that I've referenced are just sort of by nature, by culture, they're uh, just very warm and welcoming people. Mm. So um, I didn't have a problem. Wow. Okay. Well, that that's that's amazing. But the, the, the drama queen in me is a bit disappointed. I wanted to hear some juicy stories that they chased you away and you had to carry your camera. But <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Sorry to disappoint you. No, that did not happen. Uh, there's only one community uh, that I requested uh photo permission for that absolutely rejected my request and I didn't it didn't go to and um but that was not in the communities uh, in the black Jewish communities that was actually in the Canary Islands <laughs> uh even though it's part of Spain geographically a part of Africa so I wanted to include it but they were uh for whatever reasons they declined uh so there you go that's as juicy as it gets I'm sorry <laughs> to tell you <laughs> Not a problem, not a problem. Well, I am disappointed that there was no drama, but okay. <laughs> You're listening to 101.9. Tribal Pursuit is the name of the show. I'm your dear friend, Mukundi Mudao, and I'm talking to John David today. We'll be back straight after this. This is Tribal Pursuit with Mukundi Mudao. Venturing deep into Africa to discover the who, how, and why of the beautiful people that identify as Jewish. 101.9 High FM Tribal Pursuit. I'm your best friend for the hour, Mukundi Mudao. And today I'm still talking to Jano David, who is a photographer who's been all I'm, I'm pretty sure he's been all over the world. But today we just want to find out about Africa and the African communities. And Jano, you've visited quite a lot of countries. There's a few countries and Jewish communities that I wanted to ask and get your experience on, if you don't mind. Starting with the Abayudaya in Uganda. I'm pretty sure you met Rabbi Gershom Sizomu. I've talked to him, and he's a very, very, very nice man. He's not, not only a very nice man, he's an exceptionally busy, busy man. <laughs> uh, not only is he the uh, only ordained rabbi in uh, Uganda, he's also a local um, political um, leader, uh, an elected official. So, uh, yeah, he's got, uh, he's a man of many kipot. He's a busy man. And yeah, so as far as the Abayudaya, as I alluded to, and I think as if anybody really know, anybody who knows really about the broader story of Jewish Africa as it is today would absolutely know at least, uh, or at least heard of the Abayudaya in Uganda. Uh, yeah, they, they are the oldest, most established uh, Black Jewish community. Their roots go back over uh, a little bit over 100 years and it wasn't until about on top off the top of my head about early 2000s when the first group of about 400 abayudaya were actually uh, officially converted by uh, a few uh, conservative rabbis from the United States since then rabbi sizomu uh, was was officially ordained uh, as a, at a at the conservative as a conservative rabbi and he has subsequently become his his community uh, has subsequently become 
like the uh, so-called Little Jerusalem of, uh, of East Africa, because he's had a number of leaders, spiritual leaders from uh, other communities uh, in uh, Cameroon and Ghana, for example, who have gone to Uganda and studied with him and earned certificates in rabbinics, which is sort of, you know, the foundations, the base, first foundations of, of anybody who might be on the path to taking it higher to, you know, rabbi level. But of course, that requires going to yeshiva. It's a whole different um, ball game. But uh, so they have uh, a certain measure of, of um, teaching uh, through Rabbi Sizomu. So their story has also been there being the Yudaya has also been uh, quite a bit in the news. At least a couple of years ago, there were a few Abayudaya who had uh, an issue with immigration in Israel. I don't know the ins and outs of it, but it's besides the point. So that certainly put them in the news. But this brings me to a point that I would like to clarify for, and this is based on my own in, 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 uh, experiences and impressions. With all of these communities, uh, the Black Jewish communities, the emerging communities, you know, people have their motivations, they have their reasons, but I never sensed that, uh, that any of them, their, their motivation was to find this as a pathway to moving out of their home country to, to move to Israel. You know, I mean, it's a natural statistical thing to assume that perhaps a few of them do, but by and large, you know, people are from where they're from. They want to stay with their communities, their cultures, their languages, but they want to go to Israel because uh, just as any other Jew in the diaspora, uh, you know, American Jews, European Jews, you know, they have a Jewish connection to Israel and they want to go to Israel for a visit or maybe they want to go to, some of them want to go to Yeshiva, but the majority of them will ultimately leave and go back to their, their home country. So uh, I don't think their motivations are are anything but from the heart to learn about Judaism and be connected to the Jewish community at large. Mm -hmm. And it would make sense why somebody would want to leave Uganda given their political and economic state. But thank you for that. I'd actually like to talk about a group of people who are a lot closer to home, geographically speaking at least. Those are the Remba people. Can you tell me about your experience with them? Well, my Limba experience was really quite limited, unfortunately. And it's funny, uh, you, you mentioned about <laughs> a juicy story of uh, about, you know, not getting access, not getting permission. Uh, yes, well, I had, known, I, had, yeah. I, I had known about the Lemba right from the start of my Jewish Africa project, my, the, first, the first of the eight legs that, that I took. And when I did my first leg, I, I wanted to start in South Africa because I needed to get the ball rolling. And I knew starting in South Africa would be relatively easy. I speak the language. There's the you know 70 percent of the Jews on the entire continent live there, and I needed to get the ball rolling. And I figured I'd be able to meet people who could propel me forward, and give me connections in other places. That certainly was true. That worked out. And one of those connections I was hoping for was to the Lemba community. Long story short. Uh, I didn't get to finally visit a Lemba community up in uh, Limpopo province. I'm sorry, forgive me. I, I, I can't remember the name of the town, but off the top of my head. But um, I was able to make connections with a few people who had seemed like they were going to be able to shore up a, um, an opportunity for me to uh, meet some Lemba community 
that I could include in my project. And it these these uh, potential uh, opportunities fell through on at least three or four occasions. And then I was running out of time. I was down to my last uh, Jewish Africa trip. And finally, uh, things clicked and I went to visit this community. It was, it was fascinating because before, when we got there, when I say we, I went up with a friend uh, from Johannesburg. And when we got there, before we even got out of the car, the community came out of their community building and all the women, they were all dressed in these absolutely stunning traditional outfits. And they started dancing and singing all around the car. <laughs> it was just amazing. And my friend, she got out of the car. She started taking pictures with her. I remember with her iPad, she started taking pictures. I didn't want to take any pictures at that moment. I mean, I did. But what I mean is I didn't feel comfortable. I felt like I, I got to greet these people. I have to be, I have to introduce myself. I have to, you know, just to, it's, it's almost like just completely walking up to strangers and start taking photos. It's, it's you know, it's, um, I owe them a little bit of uh, introduction or respect in that sense. So I, I don't have a single photograph of this particular fantastic, amazing greeting. But the, the, the story of the Limba is quite mixed because they're not a monolith and there's only a part of the Jewish Limba that are, I'm sorry, there's only a part of the Limba who actually follow practice, some practices of Judaism and many of the others, you know, they have other beliefs, you know, Christianity or some other local sort of traditional religion, perhaps. I, I, like I said, I, I, I don't know. But I was only interested in the, the groups that were following the tenets of Judaism. And that also applied to the other emerging groups, any of the groups that were still had allegiance to uh, whatever the religion that they had before, in most cases, some denomination of Christianity. I was not interested. Uh, I wanted to know that they were wholly following Judaism. And that for me was enough to say, okay, I will incorporate you into my project and it would be my honor to do so. Beautiful. And my last question, please don't give me the safe answer. Like parents, when they were asked who their favorite child is, I just want to know, <laughs> out of all these countries that you visited, which one was your favorite? Which community was your favorite to interact with? Well, you know, Mukundi, that is a hard question because I don't want to say I like put one against the other. Each one is unique. Each one offers uh, something special. Uh, and on the personal level, I've just my own personal experiences with them and, uh, you know, and memories. Mm. However, and this is, I, I do have to say, and that's not a secret, I do have a big soft spot for the South African community. And I'm not just saying that because I'm on high FM. <laughs> uh, there, there really is no more connected community at large than there is in South Africa. And what I mean is all of the Jewish communities across the country are almost like one big community. The in in uh, Johannesburg in the uh, in the, uh, an office called the Beyachad, which is uh, sort of like the uh, if you will the Jewish headquarters. There is a series of books on the history of the Jews of South Africa. I believe to date they've published six. They're the most well-documented, well-organized Jewish community that I've ever visited at large. And so 
that's if I have to pick a, a favorite favorite daughter, it's South <laughs> Africa. And I long and I really long to come back. Ah, we will welcome you with open arms and we'll dance around your car again. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> wow. Jano, thank you so much for making the time to talk to us today. And we thank you for being a friend of the show. We'll talk to you again some other time. Thank you for the opportunity and a big hello to everybody across the community. And uh, thank you. I, I can't wait to come back. Thank you. This is Tribal Pursuit with Mukundi Mudao, venturing deep into Africa to discover the who, how, and why of the beautiful people that identify as Jewish. 101.9 High FM, Tribal Pursuit is the name of the show, and I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudao. That was Jano David. Well, he said I should just call him Jano now because we're friends. I don't know if you heard us laughing and everything. I got friends in Japan now. Konnichiwa, arigato, you know? <laughs> it is 10.57. Unfortunately, that means we are out of time, my friend. But don't worry, fear not, because I'll be back with you next week. If you enjoyed this show, I can definitely bet you enjoy next week's show. If you didn't enjoy this week's show, tune in again next week, and I bet I can change your mind. How about that? <laughs> it is 10.58. I just want to thank everybody for listening in. I want to thank Jono for making the time to talk to us, and I want to thank Craig for pressing all these buttons and pushing all the faders, because I certainly can't do it alone. I do not leave you alone. For about a minute and a half, I want you to listen to Freshly to freshly ground saying i'd like and as always until next week enjoy the rest of your day <laughs>